You're listening to Fox on the Wire. To me, it's just Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy, Jimmy Page, and then Eddie. You, you know what I mean? And I mean, when Eddie came out, it was just bam. You know what I mean? Just like, he didn't knock the door down. He just completely destroyed it. Welcome to a very special episode of Fox on the Wire. Today, we are here to celebrate the life and career of Edward Van Halen. It's difficult to overstate the musical impact of Eddie Van Halen, who passed away a few days ago on October 6th from throat cancer. He was 65. The rocker's son, Wolf, sharing the news on Twitter today, calling him the best father he could ever ask for. In fact, Wolf became the bassist for the group Van Halen in 2006. Eddie Van Halen reportedly diagnosed with cancer more than a decade ago. In 2012, he was voted number one of the 100 greatest guitarists of all time. This is going to be a huge episode, so much ground to cover with someone like Eddie who had such a massive career and was so influential to to so many. I'm going to try and cover as much ground as possible today and we're going to give a nice tribute to such an amazing musician, someone who inspired so many of us and will continue to inspire so many in the future. Thank you, Eddie Van Halen, and rest in peace.
Eddie was born on January 26, 1955 in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Here's a clip of Eddie talking about his father and eventually his family moving to the US. Let me start off by saying that my father uh, was a professional musician, uh, classically trained on clarinet and saxophone, and he traveled the world making music, and he met my mother in Indonesia. And uh, after the war, uh, Indonesia used to be a Dutch province, and uh, after the war, uh, they had a choice to either remain under their rule or move back to Holland. And they opted to move back to Holland, um, where life became a little rough because my mom became a second-class citizen because she was Indonesian. So here she is stuck at home with two rugrats, Alex and I, and uh, uh, my father's out trying to get gigs, uh, which kept him from home uh, at weeks at a, for weeks at a time. Uh, eventually... Uh, you know, with the big band era and everything coming kind of to a, to a close, uh, uh, in order to make money to have any kind of gig at all, he uh, joined the, the Air Force in Holland to uh, to pay the rent. And um, somewhere along the line, when he turned 42, he said to my mom, let's uh, pack up the kids and the piano and move to Beverly. <laughs> Except it wasn't Beverly Hills, that is. Uh, we came to America uh, on, on a boat, nine days on the boat. Uh, he, he, he performed on the boat with the band, and uh, that was our ticket over here. And uh, one day he comes up to Alex and I, and he goes, so when did you guys play piano during the intermission? So we ended up performing also on the boat, uh, which uh, gave, showed us the, uh, the quirks of... Uh, of being a performer, or the, the, the pluses of it, because the, the next night we're at the captain's table eating dinner. <laughs> so we, we found out at an, at an early age, you know, what being on stage meant. Now, of course, Alex Van Halen was Eddie's older brother, a couple of years older. He was born on May 8th, 1953, and he would go on to become the drummer of Van Halen. Here's Alex talking to MTV's Kurt Loder in 1991. Were you, were you guys, when you, when you and Eddie were kids, were, was it immediately apparent that you were musical? I mean, did you both just feel like this is what we want to do and we're, we love music, we want to play? Yeah, my dad, and, and uh, if I say Ed and my father, or our father, that sounds kind of holy, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now, he, was, he was a musician, and, and uh, it, again, it's, it's really hard to put it into words, but musicians are, are different than, yeah. than the nine-to-fivers. You know, it's a yeah. different mentality. It's, it's, uh, I think it really is something that's in your blood. And the lifestyle is different. Uh, the, yeah, you have roots. You, there's certain places where you come home to, but the whole planet is your home. Here's yeah. your suitcase. Here's your instrument. Let's go. Yeah. Because you know, music is all about people, meeting people, and playing for them. And uh, so we picked that up very early. Yeah. Must be good, great to play with a brother, right? I mean, is this a special relationship? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it never really came to my attention until Sammy once in a while will say. See, you got to remember the four of us. We were together a lot, so uh, just to keep things interesting, we like to stir a little bit of, uh, you know, stir a little. <laughs> so whenever something isn't going 100 percent right, you know, Sammy kind of walks off and he says, "Yeah, the brothers, the brothers are at it again. Can't win around here." You know? Of course, that's really some reverse psychology because at that point I'm supposed to say, "Oh no, no, not at all. No, 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 no. I disagree with that, man. I'm siding with you, Sam." <laughs> Nothing stays the same. Ain't nothing stays the same. 
while growing up in Pasadena in California, Eddie and his brother Alex took to classical piano lessons, playing mostly improvised classical, and Eddie in particular proved to be an early musical standout. As teenagers, Eddie switched to guitar and Alex to drums, leaving classical music behind and starting a rock band called Mammoth. In 1974, the Van Halen brothers hooked up with vocalist David Lee Roth and bassist Michael Anthony to form Van Halen. Within a few years, the band, on the back of Eddie's signature guitar sound and Roth's equally unique vocals, had become hugely popular in the Los Angeles rock scene. Van Halen got a break in 1977 when KISS bassist Gene Simmons discovered them at a local club and financed and recorded their first recording session. Soon after, Van Halen signed with Warner Brothers and in 1978 Van Halen put out its self-titled debut album which featured the hit single Running With The Devil. Here's Gene Simmons talking to Eddie Trunk back in 2001. Yeah, okay, for those of you that are just tuning in for the first time and just landed on Earth, I found a band called Van Halen. I then convinced them not to sign with a yogurt manufacturer who was about to literally own the band. Which is in the book also. And flew them to New York and produced their first demo, which included the entire first record and a lot of other tunes that wound up through the years. And couldn't convince Bill O'Coin to sign them or the record company because Bill O'Coin thought that they looked like Black Oak, Arkansas. And I told him he was on crack again because nobody knew who that band was. And so what if they were there? This is the next big band in America. I really believed it. I couldn't convince anybody. So that band, I, you know, I said to them, look, I've got you signed. Go back to L.A. after the tour. Um, let's see what happens. i got to go out on tour with Kiss. At the end of the tour, they got a deal with Warners, and I tore up the contract. Consider this a gift. In the meantime, the guys and I stayed in touch, and I was in L.A. We'd just come back from uh, Japan in 1977, and I wrote new songs, and I needed a bass player, a guitar player, certainly a lead guitar player, so I called Eddie and Alex. They came down, and we recorded as a trio. The three songs were Christine 16, Tunnel of Love, and Got Love for Sale which was originally called Have Love Will Travel, and kept those tracks. We originally recorded those tracks, and of course I had the demos. And then when the box set came out, I tried desperately through management and Warner Brothers to have them let me do it. They wouldn't. That doesn't mean it's not going to appear one day, but so far uh, they said, we don't think it's a good idea. So eventually you'll see the light of day. Plus I have Mongoloid Man with Joe Perry and lots of other stuff with a lot of cool guys from other bands. This was the band saying no or the label saying no or both? Good question. Eddie and I saw each other, uh, I don't know, a month or two ago on the street, and it's always very cordial. You know, he's doing great, by the way, for those of you. Yeah, I was wondering. No, he's okay. Yeah. Uh, he's fighting it, and, uh, you know, everybody should say a prayer for Eddie, but looks like he's doing okay. Good. Um, but in terms of who says no, you have to talk through management and record company because it would be, makes everybody pissed off if you don't. So I got the word that it's no, and the sense I got it that was that it was from the record company. What songs were on the demo that you produced for Van Halen? Do you remember? The, the entire first record. Oh, it's all the tracks from the record? Every single one. In, in, as a matter of fact, a lot of the uh, ideas and arrangements were things I suggested that initially were hard to call down, including the... Uh, that thing. I basically slowed it down and said, let me show you, because they had a car horn at the end of uh, Running With The Devil, I It's think. the beginning. 
Yeah, it's except, how it opens. Except it connected. Uh, that was the end of another song. It was House of Pain ended with the car horn, and I connected the car horn to Running with the Devil as one song. In other words, one went right into the other, right. so the car horn slowed down. And I said, let me show you a trick I learned while we made our first record. When uh, Black Diamond, by hand, you slow the 24-track, uh, you VSO it, and then by hand turn it. So they loved the you know, sort of sound effect, and it wound up on the first record. of Eddie's electric guitar riffs and Roth's tongue-in-cheek antics launched the album to platinum status within six months of its release. During the next few years, Van Halen became one of the hardest working and most profitable bands in the recording industry, releasing a string of multi-platinum albums in quick succession. It had 1979's Van Halen 2, 1980's Women and Children First, 1981's Fair Warning, and 1982's Diver Down. But true superstar status did not come until the release of 1984, which showcased the now classic mega-hits Jump, Panama, and Hot for Teacher, with videos for each of those burning up on MTV. Sometimes people try and deny it, but there's always a little bit of Van Halen rumbling around inside of us. Roth, Mike, Al and I, we kind of joined forces. Four guys chasing this dream. It was a great time to be alive. Nobody could compete with us because we were the only ones who could play rock music that you could dance to. record has validated Van Halen in terms of spreading from one group of people to another. Everybody seems to be appreciating Jump. Sit down, Waldo. Always had it, always will. I think it, uh, Eddie Van Halen is the greatest rock guitarist of our time. Archetypic lickety split gunslinger guitar player he's so special and soulful when he plays not just in terms of speed but how he articulates the notes his accuracy his focus there's a whole lot of emotional content to the way that kid plays it's not the only thing that i know how to do i feel i can express myself with because i'm believe me i'm not very good with words 
so my fingers kind of do the talking. Here's Nikki Six from Motley Crue talking about Van Halen in the 80s. My ultimate 80s choice is Panama, Van Halen led from the 1984 album with Jump. And we were all taken aback. We were shocked. There's the keyboards. I mean, I just remember being, what happened to Van Halen? Because I remember getting the first Van Halen album. They were from Los Angeles. We were from Los Angeles. We would see them play before they had a record deal. You know, we were just kids. That was just like the beginning of this adventurous side of Van Halen that we would later see rear its head with Sammy Hager. But it was the song Panama that just really combined not only what they were doing with Jump, but those early songs like Mean Streets and, you know, Ain't Talking About Love and all that great Van Halen. passed away there were tributes everywhere from musicians and fans all over the world i thought it would be cool to check in with uh, one of eddie's biggest fans and one of our favorite guests on this show todd berman from the white wolves all the way from nashville usa here's todd talking about eddie van halen craig brother how are you uh thank you for having me back on the podcast to talk about Eddie Van Halen, like, where do you start? You know, so many people will compare, like, you know, like who is the best, who isn't the best. And I read a quote today that spoke about, you know, there's three people that have changed things. One is Jimi Hendrix. One is Eddie Van Halen. And basically one's like Marshall, like amplification to be able to do all those things. And, I think it's so true. Like, I remember when I saw, (laughs) you know, someone introduced me to Van Halen, but my first initiation with Van Halen was through Van Hagar. So, like, Dreams, you know, when it's love, like, the big mega hits because, like, I was, like, you know, 89, 90, I was, like, whatever, 12, 13, 14 years old when you're really, truly a influenced by music and I remember seeing that and then someone's like no you gotta see the early you know like Roth stuff and I'm like what do you mean and they're like you know go and listen to that and I listened to that and I was like wow this is so flamboyant but for me it's like I, I, I think Eddie is beyond I mean in my mind to change he changed rock guitar in 30 seconds Eruption came out and everyone was like, what is this? How did this, where did this come from? You know, it was like, you know, years and years before with Sabbath and Zeppelin and just those heavy, heavy rock sounds, you know, that they consider metal now, which is more like classic rock. But, you know, like Eddie literally, you know, played solo guitar and crushed everyone on the planet purely because 
he didn't believe in boundaries and he just did what he did. And it was to a level that no one ever will come close to what he did with changing sound, the, the tapping, the two-handed technique, the harmonics, the pitch harmonics. saying about like you know Hagar coming in and Hagar's still one of my favorite singers of all time and till the day I die will be he's a phenomenal artist singer guitarist he's a phenomenal guitarist as well but just that you know like the showmanship went away when it wasn't Roth and it was Hagar and I think that's what no one really truly focuses on that you know when it stopped being about the showmanship because Van Halen is nothing without Eddie. Eddie is Van Halen. But then when you added Hagar's melodic and songwriting ability to it, it was incomparable. No one will ever, you know, you know, Roth can say whatever he says and the flamboyance and the loudness of all of it was great. But 84 is what break them. The 1984 record broke them in, you know, just you know, no one, like, wow, like, there's so many great songs on that record that are not Jump or anything else. It's just, like, they're great songs. Um, and I, I just think that, you know, a guy that basically got a case of beer to play on Beat It by Michael Jackson didn't get a credit, didn't want to be credited for it, shows you that he's an artist, shows you that he's... You know, no one can, no one can ever go close to what he did as a pioneer. You know, all the greats, you know, they followed whether it was the blues players or the classic rockers or whatever they did to, you know, for them to be validated. That was never Eddie. Just didn't care. You know, and. I've loved so many more artists since Eddie and rock was a huge part of my life. But, you know, 
I changed music in 30 seconds. No one's ever done that. When eruption came through, it's it's no one's ever done any anything close to it. You know, like nothing even close to it. You know, you've had hip hop, you've had pop, you've every genre that's come. You've never had someone change music in 30 seconds and that's his legacy. And I think it's the greatest gift that as musicians and guitarists that we've had is that someone had the ability to shake it up like that. And actually, you know what? The only thing that I think would come close to that would be the impact of grunge, which is why I'm such a huge grunge fan is because it like changed music. Like people dressed in like flannels and jeans because that's what grunge rockers did. Like, you know, they didn't dress up. They were the anti government the anti-establishment and that's why you know they're rebellious just like punk rock so i love it um but i love what eddie did you know he was absolutely my guitar hero um i bought two different van halen guitars i had the original music man I think one, mine was a 93, 94, it was red. I played it on stage in Melbourne for years and years and years and years and years. Um, I sold it to the Guitar Centre in LA. Now I regret it. <laughs> Basically, don't regret anything, but I regret that a little bit because, um, you know, it was my guitar hero's signature guitar back in the pound cake Van Halen days. Um, and I also had a Wolfgang for a very, very, very short hot second. Um, the EVH Music Man is a 10 times better guitar than the PV Wolfgang. And sorry to PV, but it's just, they're not even comparable. That was a far superior built guitar in the heydays of guitars. Um, so yeah, a lot of all of this is, you know, just, admiring a man that we all love and being grateful that he um, was here and that's all we can ask for. Here's a snippet of uh, David Lee Roth talking on the Joe Rogan show about uh, Eddie constructing solos in the studio. You had to build. It has a beginning, a middle, a crescendo, an end. There there are specific names to this. Okay. When we moved to more channels in recording, when Leonard Skinner recorded all their early stuff as a track, and then you had to double up early Van Halen, same thing. You had to compile your tracks or whatever. Um, You had to really walk in with your solo written, okay, and play, and you would work it until it really had a thing, and in crescendos. Yeah. Okay. Once there were many tracks, guys would come in and just wing it and go, okay, let's try one. Okay, great. That's fine. Let's do it again. Track two. And they just make it up as they go. Okay? And then when it's time to mix, they'll put a little of track two and a little of track six and start moving those channels in a way that you would never think to play the guitar. For example, Ed started doing that on a couple of tracks. 
All right. Original solos, running with the devil. Okay. These are thematic solos. Most Beatles solos, thematic, you follow. Yeah. Listen to the solo and ain't talking about it. These are thematic solos. When he started going like this, he'd record six different versions of the solos. Okay, and then just start move the channel. Like here, turn this one on, turn this one off, turn this one on, turn this, one. and then he'd have to go learn the solo. Wow! So you'll see his hand move from down here to up here and down there. <laughs> it became a gymnastic effort, more elbow and shoulder. <laughs> To wow. get his hand from the far end of the fretboard all the way up to the pickup and back to duplicate that uh, wabasabi wow. approach to making solos. So it was a very oblique or unique kind of way of creating a solo. It was utilizing the digital future, multi-tracking, and uh, improvising. As opposed to, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to just, I'm going to create something like a book. Here's the beginning, here's the scene, here are the characters, here's the conflict. Instead, it's, let's just mix that all up together in interesting ways. As a as a young guitarist growing up myself, I was uh, I used to collect a lot of guitar magazines, you know, Guitar World and Guitar One, and you know all the Rolling Stone mags. Um, and this afternoon, I I went out to my stash of magazines that I've got in boxes in the garage now. I, I know Eddie used to feature heavily in all of those mags because he was such a influential guitarist and musician. You know, he, he was in every magazine, even if it was, you know, an ad for one of his guitar pedals or one of his amps or his guitar, uh, custom guitars, you know, he was he was in each every magazine. And uh, so I went out there and flicked through and read some of the interviews with Ed and, uh, you know, for research purposes of this episode. And one story that I wanted to quickly share that um, I think speaks very highly of Ed has to do with Dimebag Daryl of Pantera, uh, who I'm a big fan of. So Eddie was Dimebag's hero. When Dime passed away in 2004, uh, it was said that Eddie buried one of his guitars with Dime. It was the yellow and black guitar on the back cover of Van Halen 2. It was the Charvel Strat. And there was another interview where Vinny, who is Dime's brother, uh, drummer of Pantera, talks about how Dime and Eddie spoke over the phone for, for a while and how much that meant to Dime. So I think that's a really great story and uh, speaks very highly of Ed. 
Yet Dimebag's memorial service was anything but somber. It was the ultimate rock and roll send-off, right down to the Kiss casket in which the fallen guitarist was buried. There's all these rock stars coming in. It just looks like Headbangers Ballin'. There's Eddie Van Halen up there talking at the funeral service. He puts his guitar in the casket with Daryl. It's the guitar off of Van Halen too. You know, the black one with the yellow stripe. I mean, it's the guitar. And all I can think is that, you know, back in the early days when we're teenagers, if someone would have said, Daryl, when you die, Van Halen's going to put that guitar in the casket with you. Terry would have said, kill me now. You're known for playing with both your right hand and your left hand on the fretboard. Yeah, which brings me to, I can, I can, uh, can, you I can demonstrate. demonstrate? <laughs> well, you know, before the internet, nobody could search things and whatever, but, you know, lately everybody's going, oh, Eddie Van Halen didn't invent tapping and, and pull hammer-ons and pull-offs and this and that. And I never claimed that I did, but I do know how and when I figured out how to do it. And on top of that, I never really heard anybody do with it what I did, which is actual pieces of music. But I'll never forget, Alex and I used to go to every concert um, at, the, at the forum in L.A., and... Uh, Led Zeppelin's playing, and, and Jimmy Page is going like this. He's going. Okay, so he's got his hand up in the air, in the air, and I'm going. So basically, I just moved the nut. Okay, this part right here is the nut. But then, I, I instead of using this hand, I use this hand. So, like right now, if I go like this, you can't tell which finger I'm using. This hand or that hand? You tell me, right hand or left hand? I'm using both, okay? So, no, so my, my point being, my point being is it's basically this finger or these two or however many you want to use is just an extension of this hand. Okay, so if I'm playing an A. You know, figuring that, that out, then, then I started actually making uh, little pieces, you know, like, like Eruption. Eddie was well known for his guitar sound and his guitar tone, uh, the brown sound as they called it. I'm going to cut to Rick Beato, who has a great channel on YouTube, and he's going to explain Eddie's sound and the sound from the first Van Halen album. They have the Eddie Van Halen incredible rhythm and lead playing, powerful mid-rangey Marshall sound with 
the echo on it and the reverb and pan to one side. You've got the David Lee Roth screams and just outrageous vocals. You have the Alex Van Halen super heavy drumming with the snare that sounds like a tom. You have Michael Anthony's simple but right in the pocket bass parts and then the two-part harmonies that Michael and Eddie do. Those are the elements that make Van Halen one of the most iconic rock bands of all time. As far as the guitar is concerned, I don't have a Frankenstrat that Eddie used on the first record, the black and white Strat. As a matter of fact, there's a really great video on YouTube where Eddie talks about how he built the guitar and what the parts cost and how the only the bridge pickup is hooked up. He said that he wanted to cross-pollinate a Gibson Les Paul with a Strat. Cross-pollinate a Gibson with a Fender. The body cost me 50 bucks, and then that cost me 80 but What's it Eddie used at the time that you are familiar with are things like the Phase 90 MXR Phase Shifter. That is actually a modded one. Van Halen also used, I have it down here, a... A flanger. He didn't use it for this song, but an old MXR flanger that you can hear on a lot of the early records. He used an Echo Plex for, for Echo. The plate reverb that they did afterwards in the control room. Now, one of the things about Eddie's sound that has to do with the reverb, when people are trying to get his sound, they don't take into account the fact that things were done after the amp, for example, brightening the sound after it came off tape with the EQ on the console, which happens all the time, and the panned reverb. So the thing about Van Halen's first record is that there's always just one rhythm part, and the reverb is hard panned on the other side. So Eddie didn't just play guitar, he also had a heavy hand in designing and building his equipment. His best known piece of work is his Frankenstein guitar, which he built himself in 1974. So for the first few years, Eddie almost exclusively used this guitar, the Frankenstein, and he occasionally picked up some other project of his, like the Bumblebee, Snake, or the Unchained guitar. In 1981, Eddie got his first endorsement deal with Kramer, which eventually resulted with a Kramer 5150 Beretta model. In 1991, he switched to Ernie Ball, Music Man, and designed a completely new guitar, now called the Music Man EVH Signature model. Just a couple of years later, he switched to PV guitars and eventually in 2001 started his own brand of guitar named EVH, manufactured by Fender Guitars. In recent years, Eddie mostly plays the EVH Wolfgang model, named after his son, and the Fender Custom Shop replica of the original Frankenstein guitar. Here's a clip of Eddie in the factory discussing the EVH Wolfgang guitars with some of the guitar designers. This guitar is part of, I think, an amazing journey of yours. You know, it really represents this evolution of your knowledge and your taste and your tone chasing. You know, the guitar had been around for about 20 years, electric guitar, and you weren't satisfied with that. What really set you off and to find your own sound and your own voice? I'm constantly putzing stuff, tone chasing. Closing my eyes and just playing a guitar and the feel of it and this and that. And the previous Wolfgang, you know, we put it this way, the new Wolfgang is a culmination of about 35 years or more. Everything 
that I've destroyed, <laughs> everything that I've stumbled onto, you know, uh, is in this guitar. You know, it's everything I know, everything that I know and I've experienced in my journey to where we are now. I've never used or owned any distortion pedal. Nothing. You know, I always use the guitar, cable, straight to the amp. A lot of people, until they actually play through, play my guitar through one of my amps, then they go, holy shit. Or, uh, Billy Corgan from Rust Smashing Pumpkins, he interviewed me once. And uh, it was up in the studio, and my rig happened to be set up, and I was playing, he walked in, and uh, he kind of nervously said, Can I try it? Oh, sure. He turned it up, and it was just uncontrollable for him, you know. And he goes, Where, Where's your distortion palette? I'm like, if you have a great sounding guitar, you know, a quality instrument, um, and of course a good amp, and you know how to talk, or make the guitar talk, that's the key. To me, anything you put in between that deviates, takes away from the pure tone. But, but it starts with the guitar and knowing what you want it to sound like and feel. Like what we did with the new Wolfgang was the only similarity, and even that's changed a bit. The only thing that's the same is the body shape. That's it. Every little damn thing. You know, the way the, the neck bolts on, uh, the frets, the tuning pegs, uh, the binding, the pickups, the, the tailpiece, the pots, even cavities in it to help the wood breathe, the, the wood breathe so it ages better. You know? uh, there is, you know, even the jack, you know, every little thing. The, the basics of the guitar to the painstaking aesthetics of the binding and everything else, we left no stone unturned. Bangers Ball, it's a special edition dedicated to Van Halen, and it almost seems like this is turning into a documentary of a day in the life of Van Halen. A little earlier there, we saw the guys down at the radio station. Now we're joining them just at the end of sound check before tonight's gig, and as you can see, Eddie's joined me again. And Eddie, actually, before we actually go on and talk about your guitars, <laughs> you're interviewed out. You wouldn't believe the amount of talking these guys have had to do over the last Something few Something I don't enjoy doing. No, oh, well. no with you it's okay. Oh, thank you, that's very sweet. Now, actually, before we talk about your guitars, a lot of viewers are interested in your techniques and effects you use and so on. Amount of equipment, uh, you know, I mean, the, the heart and soul of my gear is this guitar and the amp back there, which is a PV, PV-5150 head, and uh, the Music Band guitar, which I guess we've been uh, selling for about four or five years, something like that. And... Uh, Wow, it's, it's nothing, there's no special tricks to it or anything, it's just really a good piece of wood, and the neck is computerized copy of an old favorite neck of mine, so when you pick it up in a store, uh, it feels like it's been played, you know what I mean, it's not, it doesn't have that brand new kind of alien feeling, and uh, basically the thing I was looking for, we only make like about 2,000 a year, which isn't very many at all, most companies crank out about 25,000 a month, so the quality is really cool. I remember the last tour, 
I was hanging with the guys from Black Sabbath, Tony Iommi. They asked me to come jam with them, and my equipment had already left for London. So I said, hey, I got no equipment. Is there a music store around? So I went to a local store and borrowed one of my guitars that they was, that was for sale. It was identical to mine, which is great to know. You know? Here's Rob Halford from Judas Priest talking with Sirius XM following Eddie's death. When Van Halen's first album came out, I remember I was still living at home on the Beach Style Estate, and Judas Priest's manager at the time, Dave Cork, who's in the book, comes over to my place, bangs on the door, and he goes, you've got to come and listen to this band. I've just been sent this cassette. It's this band called Van Halen. You've got to listen to this cassette. And I hadn't got a cassette player at, at, at home. I'd got a record player, but not a cassette player. So I went and sat in his car, and we put the, the cassette on the very first Van Halen album, just I was just stunned. I was stunned by, firstly, the, the guitar virtuosity of, of, of Eddie, but just the whole expression of this band Van Halen. And we sat there in the dark in his car and we listened to the whole record. So that was my introduction to the great Eddie Van Halen. Fast forward some years and Judas Priest opens for Van Halen, the Santa Monica Civic, uh, again, beautiful, gracious guys. I, I was hanging out with David Lee Roth for the first time. So that's the second great memory. Um, Eddie would come to pre-shows. Uh, I, I believe Eddie and, and Glenn were, were very strong friends. There is that connection on, the, on a personal level. Uh, it's absolutely horrible that we've lost yet another incredibly talented musician. And I'm still trying to process it, you know, because uh, I've been a Van Halen fan since day one. And again, all we can do is uh, pray for the family and the band members and the fans and everybody uh, as we process the grief. And like we always do, like I did when I lost Ronnie and when I lost Lemmy, put the music on, turn the music up because that's the greatest way you can celebrate these incredible musicians, and in this case, uh, the legendary Eddie Van Halen. As of March 2019, Van Halen is the 20th on the RIAA list of best-selling artists in the United States. That's the Recording Industry Association of America. The band has sold over 56 million albums in the US and more than 80 million albums worldwide, making them one of the best-selling groups of all time. As of 2007, Van Halen was one of only five bands with two studio albums that sold more than 10 million copies each in the United States and is also tied for the most multi-platinum albums by an American band. Van Halen has charted 13 number one hits on Billboard's mainstream rock chart. VH1 ranked the band seventh on the list of the top 100 rock artists of all time. Eddie Van Halen was so many things. He was a musician, songwriter, producer, arranger, guitarist, keyboardist, and someone who was loved and respected by all. Someone who pushed his musical abilities to the limits. Limits that so many would strive for after him. Eddie and Van Halen did amazing things, and we can all be very grateful for the amazing contribution that they had on the musical landscape. Eddie's playing has inspired so many generations of musicians and will continue to do so in the future. He set the bar so high. When I was reading my guitar magazines, when I was learning how to play, you could learn a Green Day song, you could learn a Nirvana song, 
as soon as you got to a Van Halen song, it was a little bit more difficult. You had to put in the work for that. Even then, you couldn't reach the heights that Eddie reached. Thank you for everything, Eddie. Your music will live on forever. Rest in peace. You know, there's show business and then there's, you know, real... Every once in a while you meet a real human being that touches your heart above and beyond the talent. What what a what a tragedy. Gene, thanks so much for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. Um, clearly a heavy heart tonight at losing your friend, Eddie Van Halen. What did Eddie mean to you? I don't even think it's fair to say my friend. Um, I saw them as a new band that I'd never heard of. They, I was... Uh, I was invited to go see them at a place called the Starwood, 1977, something like that. And I was upstairs in the, oh, you're so special area, and people are coming over for autographs. And then I heard this astonishing sound, the guitar, it just sounded like three or four guitar players all playing at the same time. What is that? And melodic. And in harmony, too. And I went to the front, and I saw this guy, like, tapping away on his guitar, which I'd never seen before. And, of course, mm-hmm. the lead singers defined gravity flying in the air, and the great Alex on drums and Michael on bass. You know, just a... But this one guitar was making all this sound, and I'd never heard anything like that. And I have to say, today was kind of heartbreaking, uh, not just for myself, but for millions and millions of fans Van Halen's had over the years. And for so many guitar players that Eddie influenced. Okay, I was in the studio with them. I produced their demo, I, 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 all about me, 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 which is what I usually do. I I saw a more powerful than a speeding bullet, you know, able to leap tall buildings. I saw it. I didn't discover Superman. He was always there. I I just happened to be there when they exploded on the scene. Nobody's been like them. To this day, you know, when I was a kid and I heard Jimi Hendrix for the first time, mm-hmm. I just went, okay, Earth has changed. Not since Jimi Hendrix has anybody had that effect. Do you do you have a favorite memory with Eddie? I, uh, yeah. Kiss was in the studio, and Van Halen had already become a very big band. <clears throat> and Eddie was unhappy within the band. Every band goes through that. And Eddie called and uh, said that he wanted to come down and, you know, to tell to tell me that he wasn't happy with some members in the band. doesn't matter. And he wanted to join KISS. And I said, no, you're not going to do that. Let's go have lunch and we're going to talk about this thing. And uh, he was so unhappy with, you know, the personalities within the band. Sometimes it's good, sometimes not. And he just couldn't take it anymore. You can't leave the band. It's called Van Halen. You're the main songwriter in the band. And... It's it's your band. You gotta you gotta do that. And he didn't. And you know, he stuck it out. Before he left, he sat uh, the rest of the guys. Paul, myself, yeah, and the rest of the guys in the band. Hey, let me play you uh, this thing we just did. That's. That's cool. What is that? A synthesizer? He goes, yeah. Yeah, it's called, uh, you know, jump. And, oh, that's cool. Great. Hey, when are you going to add the lead guitar and the guitars? He goes, no, that's it. You're Van Halen. You're going to release a synth. I got to tell you, he knew it. The rest of us were just in the peanut gallery waiting. Hey, where's the same old stuff? What would you say will be Eddie's lasting legacy? especially in music and especially for guitarists. The Greeks had a a phrase for it, to thine own self be true. The great runners 
you know, who are speed past you, bolt, and everybody else. They don't look over their shoulder to see who else is running or who's beside them. They just, they speed along their own way at their own speed. That's what makes them a champion. Eddie respected everybody else, but he was his own guy to the end. And I don't even have the right to make an assessment. I'm not part of the Van Halen family. I just happened to see as the greatness sort of passed me by. I saw them when they were like little kids. I saw that. It's, uh, you know, it's still heartbreaking. I don't know what to say. I'm just, I'm kind of devastated uh, for that we could think how we get to do it again tomorrow. I tell you, a Van Halen song never felt so hard to sing and play in my life. It was hard. It was. It's very surreal right now. And, uh, it has some second. Well, what I felt playing, especially a song like right now that's so timeless, that I felt, wow, thank God for this. You know what I mean? It's like we'll never play with any of you. Thank God for this. So we have we have the music. The music you know, will live forever and if nothing else. I'll sing it as long as I live. We love you, Eddie.